Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. I use she or they pronouns. And this week, I am talking to another medical practitioner. I'm talking to a nurse practitioner named Max, who is going to talk about how to access medical care when medical care doesn't want to give you access to medical care. And we'll be talking about the different ways that people source medications. And we'll be talking about the different diagnostic tools and kind of talk about what you can do to learn how to be your own doctor. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. And here's a jingle from another show on the network. And welcome to the Milwaukee Lit Supply Podcast. The Milwaukee Lit Supply is a project distributing radical literature in the community and across the fences into Wisconsin prison. The Lit Supply is a member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. On this podcast, we talk about one of the radical zines from the Lit Supply catalog each month. It is June. It is July. It is August. And this month, we are going to be discussing colonization and decolonization. A World Without Police, but Blood in My Eye by George Jackson. This author does a really good job at breaking it down and having like really uh, approachable. Um... The best revolutionaries you're going to find are in prison. You got you to gotta change the, the very structure and the framework that you're working in. I just thought that was like a dope realization. <laughs> if you would like to learn more about our project, get involved, or come on our podcast, go to our website at mkelitsupply.com. Okay, so if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then I guess a little bit of your, your background as relates to the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about today. Sure. Um, my name is Max. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a medical provider. Technically, I'm a nurse practitioner with a degree in family health care. I've been working in healthcare for about 15 years on the on the East Coast. First doing primary care and working with LGBTQ plus folks, and now mostly doing HIV care in an infectious diseases uh, environment. Okay, so the reason I wanted to have you on the show is I wanted to talk about I guess you could say like DIY allopathic healthcare, or maybe rather like accessing allopathic medical care without access to the allopathic medical system. And um, I was wondering if you could kind of give a brief introduction to that and also explain what allopathy is for, for anyone who's listening who's not familiar with that term. Sure. Allopathic is the word I think I'm going to use to describe the medical world I work in. I think about it like how people talk about Western medicine, but I feel like there are so many different contributions to what we think of as Western medicine from all over the world historically and currently that it seems kind of like a a dumb term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I sort of reached out to some friends of mine who are in other other kinds of healthcare outside of this sort of what we think of as like this healthcare model and was like, what's the best terminology? And they were like, oh, allopathic, that's what you should use, you know? And so I think, all right, that's what I'm going to use for this. And for me, I think a lot about expertise, right? Like someone could learn to work on a bicycle outside of ever having to learn 
necessarily in a shop or in a school. Mm-hmm. And they could learn to work on their bicycle super, super well. And they could learn to start working on other people's bicycles. And they could go on the internet and they could diagnose problems with bicycles. And they could, you know, become the person who lives next door who's really, really good at fixing everybody's bicycles. And ultimately, with experience, that person can be an expert in bicycles, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's something we allow people. And there's something about allopathic medicine that just doesn't allow for that expertise outside of a really rigid model outside of schooling outside and it's it polices its borders so like if you want to go and look something up about your own healthcare on the internet the things that you find are are terrible even the things that are supposed to be reliable like something like medscape or something like that Mm -hmm. you know it's like every oh you have a sore throat you look up sore throat and it gives you every possible thing that could ever possibly have ever caused sore throat (laughs) including some kind of like anything right and if you but if you look up how to fix a flat there's not disclaimers about oh you might cut off your tongue while fixing a flat (laughs) or run yourself over or wear a house you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's this, it's like matter of fact, you're allowed to access the information. And I think that there's, it's a big problem when it comes to healthcare. And it, well, everyone has bicycles, but only some people have bodies. No, no one has bodies. No one has yeah. bodies. But everyone has a bicycle. So it makes sense. Everyone that has the, a bicycle. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. Please continue. <laughs> no, it's fine. It makes total sense. Then I also think too about a lot of the, you know, I think one of the things I think about in your show is that idea of like, you know, the prepper in the fallout shelter or like the little green mm-hmm. anarchists, like how that's not necessarily like a sustainable model in the, in the tradition, like, cause we need each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we need about each other is that we need all of each other. And I think this idea of being able to just go and live on the mountaintop and survive on your own is, is deeply ableist mm-hmm. and assumes a lot about bodies and what bodies need and what people need to keep their bodies healthy. Yeah, and it it doesn't take into account that like even able-bodied people aren't always perpetually able-bodied, you know, like say, speaking as someone who currently lives alone on a mountaintop, <laughs> um, you know, I think about it a lot, right? Like I'm, I'm like, if I fall on the ice, my dog isn't going for help, you know, and like I could probably only do what I do with access to a cell phone, you know, like realistically, I mean, sure, people successfully live alone for long periods of time without access to any of that, but people also unsuccessfully live alone without access to other people too. So I, I, no, I I agree with you. I am. Yeah. We do need each other. Even, even, even when you choose to be mostly isolated, which actually come any kind of crisis. Now I'm making this about me. I just got really self-conscious as thinking about the mountaintop thing, you know, come in any kind of crisis. I immediately don't want to be alone anymore. Like, be living alone only makes sense in the context of the entire like social infrastructure that we have set up, you know? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And it's like, as soon as you get a little bit hurt and you're laying on the ground and you're like, why did I do that thing that I just did? that got me a little bit hurt. You're like, will I be hurt forever? Will anybody uh-huh. find my corpse? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So, so and then so you're someone who does have access to a lot of the you know traditional allopathic medical world right and and what you're saying is that it's something that people can become more competent as individuals whether they're like specializing or whether they're just like jack of all trades in their you know their healthcare um what does yes. that 
what does that look like? What are what are good places to start, either in the current context or in a uh, you know a, a crisis context in which we might be detached from social infrastructure? Like, what what should people learn? I'm definitely not in the working in any kind of realm of right now, like emergency, right? So mm-hmm. this definitely isn't the like how to you know stop somebody from bleeding in an excessively or we had know, that episode actually yeah, so that's exactly good. yeah no yeah. i've listened to it <laughs> and um and it was great um but it's sort of more like how do we access these things so that so that people can become experts outside of of a traditional model right and so i think about things like like sort of big, three big things is like reliable sources Mm-hmm. Right? Where can you look up information and actually get information without being told that you're gonna that you have cancer when you just have a sore throat, right? And and then access to diagnostic tools and things that help make diagnostics and things that help sort of lay it out. And then because that's something that you we use all the time. And then mm-hmm. the final thing I think about is, and, and also in, in that realm of tools is, is medications, right? Like how do we get medicine? You know, like this, like medicine in pill form, medicine in injectable form. Like how do we get those things outside of a doctor model? And then the final thing is just like what makes a, someone an expert is experience. But the, so the big things I'm going to talk about are like, are like what I'd like to talk about, I guess, is sources mm-hmm. and tools. Um, oh, yeah. And tools and and then sense of tools, I think, you know, diagnostics, manuals and things like that, but diagnostic tools and and medicines. Okay. So this is exciting. I want to know yeah. these things. And then I'm gonna ask you about fish antibiotics afterwards. <laughs> and then in the very most fundamental level, I think that everyone in the whole world who should have a little index card that they keep on their person that says, you know, their name and emergency contact, what they're allergic to, if they have any medical conditions, if they take any medications, you know, it, or make, you know, or make that if you live with someone who's older, if you live with someone who's housebound, if you live with someone who's particularly vulnerable, help them do that, make them for that for them and just have that on hand because that just simplifies every process. I, I really like that idea. And then like maybe people who have access to whoever in your neighborhood has a lamination machine, you know, make laminated cards for everyone. No, that makes sense. It's one of the questions I get the most, um, you know, because the traditional, as you kind of mentioned, the traditional prepper space is very ableist and very uh, focused on, on people who are not marginalized by society. And, and so a lot of people are like, well, you know, I, I need a thyroid pill every day or I'll die or, you know, or I don't want to go off antidepressants. I'd rather die or, you know, wh- whatever these things are. And I, I don't usually have good solid answers. So that was actually why when you reached out, I was, I was so excited to talk to you. So I guess, do you want to start with sources? What are good sources? Um, sure. Obviously WebMD and Wikipedia, but. I have a ton to say do about ways of sort of amassing medication. So we'll get to that. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So sources was so like the first thing, if you can get health insurance right now, and I mean that in like, there are sometimes ways to get it. Like if you can access a lower income clinic or you know someone who's a social worker or does case management, they can mm-hmm. help you often get like state assistance, health insurance. 
Um, and like if you're super sick and you have a complex issue that would might involve, like if you have a broken bone or you worry that you might have legit pneumonia, you can absolutely always give fake information at an emergency room. Just be savvy about it. Right. And you know, and if you have to get hospitalized. This. Oh, no. Obviously, we're talking about fiction in this particular context because we would. Yeah, I know. Absolutely fiction. Yeah, absolutely. In, in a post-apocalyptic in, society that looks exactly like our current society, this is what you could do. Oh yeah, that's what we're <laughs> that's what we're talking about. And yeah. um, the only way to talk, you know, and in said said society too, if you end up in a in a hospitalized situation and you're what they consider to be indigent, which is mm-hmm. you know, they know they can't get blood from a stone, so they'll often sort of retroactively sign people up for um, medical coverage to cover that. This is all, of course, assuming that someone is documented. So I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to assume that. So that's on the baseline. But so things that you could do diagnostic-wise, right? We can learn. People can learn how to do physical exams. But I'm a big fan of 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 some sources that people can access. There's this book called "Where There Is No Doctor," and everyone and their mother should own this book. You can get free PDFs of it in tons and tons of languages, tons and tons and tons and tons of languages. And it is an incredibly useful thing. People should just get it for each other for like birthday presents, mm-hmm. you know, and it pretty much shows you how to like diagnose and treat a wide variety of illnesses, even with explicit medication instruction. And it's just, it's just a really, 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 really useful tool. There's also this thing, this online thing that most healthcare people have access to called UpToDate. Mm-hmm. And if you know anyone in healthcare and, you know, in an, in, an, in an alternate reality where people can share things like, you know, logins and things like that, you know someone who might be willing to, to share that, you can use UpToDate to diagnose and treat everything. And what it is, is it's, it's, it's staffed by medical people who create, you know, pages about different illnesses, about different things that you might encounter, and it gives all the most, quote-unquote, (laughs) up-to-date, well-referenced literature about whatever it is, you know, and they kind of grade, like, okay, we give this a grade A, we give this a grade B, in terms of, like, okay, this is a good intervention or not. And you, it's, it's, I, I look at it all day long. And I've been doing healthcare for a long time. <laughs> um, another possible thing that one could do if one was in like a collective of people is you could all go in on it and have an up to date. How much does it cost? Or do you need to provide like medical license or? I've not had to to sign okay. up for it. I mean, and I think it's I, I think it's very worth it. But I think it's also like one of those kind of things, like you know, a lot of subscription services where somebody's got a. Mm-hmm. and there's no way to sort of misuse it you know so <laughs> well, it just it drives me crazy how like this exists and that we can't access it like i mean obviously some people can and that's that's wonderful and i'm sure there's reasons or whatever but it, it just it's very frustrating the idea that like we're all stuck with WebMD, you know whereas like actual doctors are able to like it's not that they just magically know all this information you know i mean um, I've been going uh, to a friend of mine for years as like my primary medical provider, basically. As soon as he started going to med school, you know, he just started answering everyone's medical questions for the community that he was in. And, you know, and 
yeah, he spends all of his day like reading stuff like that and keeping up up to date. It is a very clever name <laughs> about all this stuff. And it's amazing how much it changes. I don't know. I don't know. I sorry, I just got really frustrated thinking about how that, that exists and I can't immediately access it and I'm stuck like using yeah, things it's telling really me frustrating. cancer. And it's it's that's kind of one of the things I mean. Like what else what else where else is it so difficult maybe to to access actual legitimate you know resources if if you have a friend like who's in healthcare and they're associated with a university or like a major hospital system there are also sometimes these biomedical libraries online Mm -hmm. um well of course there there are biomedical libraries online sorry and you know you can look up to the very most current research on things papers wise you know and that's a fantastic fantastic resource so if you know anybody with a login who's or is, who is a medical student or even just a student period most of them have an online act online access to really really good current research um and ways of guiding care and so that's a, another great tool so you can actually be doing you know very very current you know well-documented smart healthcare for people because there these things exist these these documents these research papers exist we just it's the access right it's the yeah it's the access like 100 percent. let's see i mean it's it's ivory tower shit it's like it's the same as like whenever i'm trying to research history there's all kinds of papers written by historians and they're all locked up behind these academic paywalls. And I basically have to like bug my friends in the academy being like, Hey, can you pull this paper or like write the authors directly and be like, Hey, you're the only person who's written about the blue spectacles worn by the nihilists in 1860s Russia. Can you tell me why they wore blue? Can you just give me the paper? You know? And it, it, I don't know. Sorry. As an aside, it just irritates me. I, I don't like this. It's incredible. It's thing. ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And, you know, but it really, I think probably a lot of people are only probably a couple of degrees, like away from someone who might have one of these logons, logins. So right. I think we should just pressure the hell out of our friends and colleagues <laughs> and make sure that they, you know, distribute. Yeah. Equitably. Equitably. <laughs> The, one of the things I really use a lot is like dermatology guides. Um, so if you have a bunch of friends and you want to go in on a little like biomedical library, you know, you know, if you know someone who ever went to nursing school or anything like that, ask them if they have, <laughs> you know, things like anatomy books and things like that. But the, if you can get derm books, they're great. Mm-hmm. Um there's one called Fitzpatrick's Dermatology, and it's just like the tome, and as it's tons of color pictures. If you get an outdated one, just know that some of the recommendations in terms of things like antibiotics might be outdated. But mm-hmm. but what the rash is and what it <laughs> what it is, you know, <laughs> is not hasn't changed. Um, that book though has centers, uh, I think, a white skin considerably. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book called Taylor and Kelly's Dermatology for Skin of Color that's much, much better in terms of, obviously, skin of color. It's a very, very good book as well. The problem with both of these books is that they're not cheap. So it's okay. totally worth finding old copies. But then again, just remembering that, you know, the the 
how to treat things might have changed. Okay, so the diagnostics are good, but the the treatment. But the, yeah, but the what to do has changed. But once you diagnose it, then you can reference up to date or whatever to figure out a better. Absolutely, and just in terms of rashes, you know, rashes kind of can all look like each other too. So that's. that's I mean, the to be honest, like <laughs> to just admit to everyone, the main thing I've been going to the medical care provider for many years. I, I, I you know, as a squatter, and I lived in the van, I lived in a cabin. Uh, was was like, hey, what's this rash? What's and, this rash? And usually the answer is um, shower more and dirt rash. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and like. I think uh, I ended up having to put um, anti-dandruff shampoo on various parts of my body at various points, like leave it there for 10 minutes. Um, anyway, now that you all know more about me than you need to. Dermatology, that, that makes sense. I love getting to tell patients to shower less. That sometimes happens with eggs. Oh, patients. interesting. Mm-hmm. I haven't had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to having that problem. <laughs> So there's a thing called the Sanford Guide to Antimicrobials. Um, they're little bitty books. If you can get a very, very up-to-date one, they're or like a uh, like current one. Sorry, um, that's a really useful thing. They're teeny. The CDC website is really, really useful when it comes to all manner of things like travel exposures, bacterial and viral illnesses. Their STD stuff is great. Their PrEP stuff, which is like a pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, Mm -hmm. their PrEP guidelines are great and super, super accessible. And that's just free and available. And you just look it up, but just instead of looking at the, look up the four providers, you know, always just click on four providers. And then I really like the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeon website when it comes to like certain exercises for bones and joints. And then let's see, a lot of schools and universities will just have like best practice guidelines, which are just the best ways to like algorithms for diagnosing things. And then there's some like online videos. There's this place I used to work at. They used, I used to refer a lot of my patients at this one practice to this place called Excel PT physical therapy. And I love them because mm-hmm. they have tons and tons and tons of free physical therapy videos on their website that are really, really good. Like they're legitimate physical therapy web exercises that people can go through and be put through. And I just really like them because I feel like, I don't know, it's, it's not just a printout. It's, they're actually putting someone's body through the motions. They have them right up there and there's not like 50,000 disclaimers. Like you're going to, I don't know. I really, I think they're super, (laughs) super valuable. And I use them a lot with patients of mine who are uninsured, who can't go to physical therapy. So that's some of my, those are like my manuals. I love manuals anyways, in all manner of things. (laughs) Yeah. That's like the, sometimes people come over my house and are sort of disappointed because I'm a fiction writer and most of my shelves are just like, if I see a manual for how to do something at a used bookstore, I'll buy it. Oh my um, gosh, totally. I, Every single I have no, I really don't see the world where I'm trapping small game. I just don't see it happening. I've been vegan for 20 some years, but I got this really good. It's like a guide. It's, it's exactly that. I have to remember the name. I'll have to tell you later. We can cut this out of it. 
<laughs> oh, we should leave that it's part. Like in. A, um, it's like a hunter trapper manual. It's yeah, so good. It's so good. Um, can will we be able to put in the show notes all of the? Will you be able to send me the list and I could put this? Yeah, at the I top can send the you show a notes. list of things, yes, so you don't have to dig through the trans transcription to find these again. Anyone who's listening, it'll be top of the show notes. Absolutely, cool. I will send you all of my all of my bits and bobs, and then I guess after after that it comes to me like diagnostic tools in terms of like physical things mm-hmm. in like um you know everybody if you, if you you know blood pressure cuff or pulse oximeter and a stethoscope right but you can use if you get a microscope and you have slides like a decent student microscope you can actually diagnose a fair number of things you know if huh. you can you can learn how to gram stain so you can figure out you know a lot about bacteria what kind of stuff can you successfully diagnose yourself with this kind of with thing? With the like with a microscope, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you can diagnose like a a, a yeast infection or a, a a fungal infection if you have a microscope and something called pod- potassium hydroxide. You can like the trichomoniasis, like an STD. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely see trick like swim on a microscope slide. Um. You can, you know, if you look at a slide and there's like lots of white blood cells and then also like little cockeyes, sometimes you can diagnose certain kinds of STDs. And then, yeah, with a microscope slide and some some pH paper, you can diagnose bacterial vaginosis, yeast infections, and, and trichomoniasis for sure. For sure. That's cool. Um, and then, yeah, it's it's really cool. Actually, it's fantastic, and it's old school. And you know, people miss things, and sometimes things don't look like how they should. But there's tons of information about that online. There's a question. I'm probably you probably can't, but a, a friend of mine um, in med school saw his own um, chromosomes, and I assume that's more than a microscope. Yeah, no. But okay. you know, a student microscope is going to be kind of more like. Bigger, bigger cells, things swimming across, you know, little fungal things that are growing, that kind of stuff. Okay. And then if you can get access to urine dipsticks, so which you can actually buy, I think just, I mean, I even, I think I looked them up on Amazon, which I shouldn't have, but I did (laughs) just to see how easy they were to get because they're always in medical offices. They just have to be kept like in the little, they have to be kept in their little container that they're in because they have to be kept dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, those can be used to diagnose, you know, a urinary tract infection. And if there's sort of three things, or if there's, well, two major things going on on them, you know, if you see something like an increase in the white blood cells that are on the little strip, and you see something called leukocyte esterase or leuk esterase or nitrites on there, those things pretty much are indicative of, of a UTI. So if someone has recurrent UTIs, they can actually like pee on a strip and be like, you know, this is, this is legit. This just, this isn't just me feeling like dehydrated or having Mm -hmm. coffee, too much coffee bladder or something like that. So that's kind of really useful. Also, if someone just has a ton of glucose on there, you know, that's like a diabetes diagnosis. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that can be really useful. Having a glucometer is really useful, which tests their blood sugar levels because it can test to see if someone, you know, if someone in somebody's community is diabetic and they get too low or too high, or just in general, if you have someone that's not faring super hot, you can check their their blood glucose levels. The problem with glucometers is they're maddeningly proprietary. So you get them and like there's strips and there's the little finger stick things and they all go with the one has the ones. And so it's really obnoxious because it's not like you can super easy cobble together a little glucometer setup. That's basically to rip off diabetic people. Oh, completely. It's just all the, it's the dumb, 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 dummy, dumb, dumb. And then, you know, (laughs) pregnancy tests, there's Mm -hmm. home HIV tests. Now we've got COVID tests. Apparently mine's coming from the government. I just finished and I just got it back a negative rapid COVID test like two seconds before this. <laughs> oh, congrats. I was feeling kind of run down. Yeah, I was feeling kind of run down. So I was like, oh, I should do this before I see my kiddo tomorrow. Yeah. And then yeah. now more and more you can just order lab work for yourself. And I think it's really useful to know what you're going into before doing something like that. All these things I'm talking about, you know, it should be for really big, like, I think I might have an STD, you know, or mm-hmm. like, I think, you know, there's something, something isn't right with this very specific thing. But a lot of these sort of like lab core and quest diagnostics and things, you can actually just go on and order your own tests. It's not cheap, but I went and got it. a bunch from Let's Get Checked. And uh-huh. I'm a little bit squeamish around blood. And it was like, oh, it's a finger prick. And I can handle a finger prick. Mm. But what they don't tell you is that it's a finger prick and then milk the blood out of your finger. Ooh, I hate that. The word and, milking. Yeah. And I literally <laughs> couldn't do it. I like tried. And then I was like making someone help me. And then they were like getting really stressed out because I was kind of freaking out at them. And I, I, I couldn't do it. So I have like... Uh, a fair amount of expensive tests sitting in waiting for me to, to figure out. And then, you know, I like, I talked to them and they were like, Oh, you just got to make sure you take a shower first and that you're all warmed up so that you can like, and I'm like, I will not milk blood from my finger. So I, I have my, my squeamishness prevents me from accessing certain amongst these tests. Well, some of them you can order yourself and actually just bring to the lab and they'll actually do a blood draw for you. So I I learned that. Oh, from, okay, okay. Yeah, but they're not always that. You know, I think the cost is always kind of an issue. At the end of the day, with some of these things. Yeah, I like the um, idea that someone in, like, someone in your crew can have a microscope and at least tell you if you have trick. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Especially if you know the symptoms and the, and the test match up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Possibly all labs may be able to be ordered, but the thing is, I'm a big fan of like not going looking for things unless there's an actual, I don't know, unless someone's having a problem and that they feel like it means that something has changed from their baseline to such a degree that it's causing them, like things aren't going well. Yeah. You know? And if something, I always tell people, if something's been there on your body for a long time and it's unchanged, it's probably not anything. 
You know, like it's probably just a, it's probably just your variation on a theme. Yeah. Or it's some kind of weird little cyst that's just always going to be there. And if it, if it's causing sort of psychological distress, distress or something, that's totally fine. Like we can deal with it, but if it's not changing or getting worse or anything, it's probably nothing that nothing worrisome. It might be something, but it's not going to be something worrisome. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned also in diagnostic tools, like physical exams, like what are the kinds of physical exams that we should be learning how to administer on ourselves and our friends? Well, I think just sort of knowing what your body <laughs> is like, like you know, from the get-go, like not to be totally to our bodies ourselves, but I think there's something really good about knowing what's there, you know, and like self-exams are good in terms of people think about like, you know, chest self-exams, testicular self-exams, those kinds of things. I think if someone really wants to pursue be, you know, knowing about other people's bodies, you know, knowing knowing what what to listen for, would you listen at someone's heart and things like that are important things, you know, to know. But I think just having kind of a sense of oneself and like, oh, something isn't right. Something really isn't right is is kind of the most important part when it comes to physical exams. So just knowing your baseline, basically. and Knowing knowing and, your baseline and knowing when something wildly deviates from your baseline. Okay. Yeah. Which, of course, always has the fun, like, aging thing where you're like, oh, that's a new spot. Oh, yeah, totally. Or that hurts so much. Oh, actually, okay, here's a diagnostic question. What should I look for? What should one look for when they look at moles to try and figure out whether or not they're worrisome? Is it is it new? Is it irregular, like very irregular, not like a nice little round, nice, like continuous border, but does it look raggedy, mm-hmm. right? Is it is it kind of just like a different pigmentation from your skin color or is it like, like really black or is it like going to bleed easy? Is it kind of bumpity all over as opposed to kind of a continuous smooth thing? In my experience, things that are worrisome that turn out to be cancer, things look worrisome. They look really different, usually. Not always, but usually. You know, you see something and you're like, what is that? That's not something that's been on your body before. And again, if it's something that's unchanged, really, mostly, it's been there for a long time, it's not doing anything. It's just chilling with you. So one of the things I want to ask about that you talked about briefly before we before we started recording is is access to medications. Obviously medications are something that yes. you know there's there's probably two types of answers to this question or almost two questions and and one of them would be like what can you gain access to in a situation where law is no longer a thing? Versus what can you gain access to within the existing society? Like, how can you gain access to different things? And, and those are maybe related questions and maybe not, but I'm, I'm curious. I think they're related. I think I need to preface it. Okay. okay. Something that's really important to me is antimicrobial stewardship. And it's, it's up there with, you know, all kinds of stewardship, right? Like earth stewardship, meaning like, We have access to drugs that treat microbes. We have overused them as a society, right? 
And now we have these things called multi-drug resistant organisms. And the way we prevent more of that is not is by not taking medicine that we don't need. Okay. And by taking medicine that makes sense for the organism. So that's my only little caveat that I'm putting out there. No, that's interesting. Uh, uh, the The way of phrasing it as like part of stewardship makes a lot of sense. Like, so what's involved in? I mean, like you know, I remember. When I was a kid, we'd all be like, oh, don't use antimicrobial soap or you'll make everything worse. You know, and I, I don't know that, that was a, us being like proud about being dirty or whether that was legitimate. And like, like, I, so what, what else is involved? I mean, there's also the like, you know, always complete your round of uh, antibiotics so that you like actually destroy it versus like, you know, almost killing it and having it come back worse. But like, well, what are the kind of changed a little? They've actually shortened. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, it used to be these sort of like long drawn out courses. We just want to make sure that someone's using the right right drug for the right critter, right? Mm-hmm. And that we're not just taking medicine because we don't feel good. Because there's a lot of things that make, make people not feel good that doesn't even have anti-whatever's towards it, like antimicrobials. Because it might not be bacterial, it might be viral, there might not be anything to do for it. You know, like the vast majority of of those those two three week sort of sinusitis doom. I'm so sick. I'm never going <laughs> to be a well person. That's all viral illnesses. You know, there's not anything we can really do for them. If it's multi symptom like that, like runny nose and yucky eyes and a cough and a chest and I mean pre COVID, <laughs> even mm-hmm. the COVID yeah, yeah. virus, right? Viruses present a lot similarly to each other, right? And viral illnesses make us kind of have viral illnesses, which are usually multi-symptom. And a lot of viruses, we just kind of have to suck it up and do the soup and neti pot and be miserable for a while. Okay. But so that you know, we can target antimicrobials like antibiotics, like specifically to certain to certain things because we can diagnose them pretty specifically with certain tools, or you know, we kind of really know that these symptoms always kind of equal this or whatever. But it's just something good to keep in mind going into things. I mean, everybody does dumb things, and everybody sometimes I have definitely. Many times I've written prescriptions for things that I wasn't 100% sure of because I want to make someone well and we don't have access to all the diagnostics. and Right. You know, and so, so it's just your best guess or whatever. Yeah. But not everybody should be taking azithromycin if they feel bad. You know? But so I think that's my only thing going into things. It's just, you know, we should be, we should be conscientious of these things. Um, cause we only, you know, we have the potential to, to create total havoc when it comes to critters. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I think about accessing medications. I think. So where do you get medications in the world? Right. If you don't have a, like a provider or a prescriber, so most medicines, if they're like a tablet form, do not readily expire. So most med, all right. I've heard the I'm efficacy in, for, drops yes, a little bit. 
Maybe, maybe a little, but it, it takes a lot for the efficacy to drop, drop, drop. I mean, I guess if you opened up an old thing of meds and it just looked very, very strange, <laughs> maybe. But if it's still there, most of the time, most medications, they just don't have the money to keep studying them out and out and out and out and out expiration-wise. Uh, they kind of okay. hit a point where they're like, hmm, it's probably not expired. Certain, like tetracycline, maybe it caused a dangerous situation. So stay away from old tetracycline and ranitidine. And that's an antibiotic. That, oh yeah. So tetracycline is an antibiotic and that, that could be dangerous if, if it's old theoretically, but it's not prescribed like all that anymore. Mm-hmm. And ranitidine, which is like a stomach med that's been taken off the market. It's an antacid style medication. It has some cancer causing compounds that could have occurred. But most things, like if they're a tablet, they don't expire. Like it's completely reasonable to hoard medications. If okay. You- Is there a way to get the doctor to give you like longer prescriptions? Like I've heard that like sometimes people struggle to be like, I, I want my ADHD meds more, you know, and people are like nervous to give larger prescriptions or whatever. It's control. Sometimes they're controlled. And I think with controlled meds, providers are super squeamish. Okay. Which sucks. But some meds, just keeping them, you know, just if you have them in your house and, you know, maybe you didn't take them as long as it's not liquid medicine or emergency medicine. So if it's like an EpiPen or insulin, you want those things to stay obviously like, you don't want them to be expired. Okay. But, you know, but inhalers seem to be okay. And I always just say, if you have like old meds, antibiotics, etc., keep them. Someone may need them, right? Do you have a relative that's passed from this mortal coil or whatever? And, you know, you're cleaning out their space. Maybe there's something that they might have that someone needs. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't, I mean, this is like that my pharmacist friend's going to roll over in her not grave, but like, you know, <laughs> we're always told not to tell people this, but we're talking about, you know, access. If someone doesn't have access to medicine that they need, you know, how do we get them access to medication? So this is sort of talking about like, you know, worst case scenario, but, and then I always think about, you know, if someone, if you got a prescription of something, say, and you took it, and it gave you a rash all over, and the doctor said, don't take it anymore, you're allergic to it, or you're like, ooh, I threw up, and I never took that again. Save it, because that's almost a full course of the medicine. Mm-hmm. It's probably, you know, which is fantastic. You know, if you if you were taking something for something, like, like for HIV, and you were on antiretrovirals, and you switched regimens because you were cure- like wanted to take something new, save your old meds. So, because as long as you're not resistant to your old meds, your previous med regimen still works, and you could go back to it, and you could save yourself like a couple months of heartache if something went down. Okay, so theoretically, <laughs> this is okay. Wait, no, I, I don't want to give terrible medical advice on this show. Never mind. Um, no, I'm I not trying to either. That's why I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, well, how could someone get a backstock of, you know, someone who's uh, HIV positive and, and 
wants to have access to their medication um, despite disruptions in supply chains and whatever. Oh, I think about this all the themselves. time. I think about this all the time. Do you have a friend that would be willing to uh, get meds prescribed for them? Even if they, you know, you have a friend with insurance that would be willing to to say that they had X, Y, and Z in a low-stakes way. I mean, it starts to become high stakes if controlled substances are involved, right? Mm-hmm. That's when things become dangerous for everyone involved and, you know, could be. And that would be stuff like painkillers, Ritalin. I forget the name of the larger SSRIs. Not SSRIs. Oh, really? No. Okay. But um, benzodiazepines. Oh, that's what I was thinking of is um, benzos. Um, yeah. I'm, Things I that, you know, you medication. have to, you have to go and, and, you know, get special scripts for and things. Those are the things the that stuff raise, with street value, basically. Exactly. Those are the, the things that like raise take. eyebrows. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, and there's a lot of surveillance of, you know, but if, if, if you're someone who needs thyroid medication to live, mm-hmm. you know, and you have someone, you know, if you have access to other ways of getting your same medication, you know, that's not a medicine that's necessarily going to raise eyebrows or some of the medications can be very expensive. Um, sometimes, you know, people can ask their providers to give them 90 day supplies of things. I, you know, I think we try to do that all the time. And I think a lot of people who do have chronic health can get conditions are very savvy about pre-planning Okay. when it comes to medications. Otherwise you, you can't go anywhere. Yeah. So, so what else, how, how else does one access medication? I think medications? I talked about partners. Like if you, if you have a partner or a friend who has health insurance and you don't, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then if you know anyone who's traveling to countries with pharmacies that don't require prescriptions. So there's a, you know, handfuls of countries where one can just go into a pharmacy and just purchase medication. And is this something that's like, like, what's the legality of taking? Like, let's not, let's, let's pretend like we're not talking about the controlled substances. Let's talk thyroid pills or whatever. Right. Mm. Um, if I, if I go to a country where I can just get thyroid pills over the counter, I actually don't know whether you can get thyroid pills over the counter or whether they require Medicaid. Uh, is this a good example? It's a um, great example. Okay. So let's talk about levothyroxine. Can you go into a pharmacy in some countries and just buy it? Yes. Do you have someone in your life that needs it desperately? Maybe go and what, what's the law about bringing it back into the country, something that requires a medication in another country and in this country. So I can't speak specifically to any law, but it's not something Mm -hmm. that I've ever heard of penalized. Okay. Because again, it's not, it does, there's not a control piece there. Right. It's not a scam. It's not a, you know, I think if you set up like a, some kind of capitalist super buyers club kind of concept thing where, you know, you're you're bringing levothyroxine back into the United States and selling it for I don't know. I would be like you're pretty savvy, but you know that I don't think it would be. I mean, I, otherwise, I think if you're just bringing back amounts that make sense for like a, a person's a single person's use, I don't think there would be any surveillance of that at all. Okay, and again, we're we're not telling anyone to break any laws, and people should no, make their own decisions. Not at all. And if it turns out that this stuff is illegal, that would also map to being morally wrong because obviously the laws of our society are just and worth valuing. Um, Especially when it comes to people's health. 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> and you okay. know, some countries, some countries have it more restrictive than we do. Like, right. Like, mm-hmm. so in Ireland, like if you go to Ireland, bring birth control to Ireland, God. you know, like yeah. okay. <laughs> people can't get birth control. You know, Thanks, I was Catholics. staying in the, I was staying in the Netherlands with some friends years ago and they had a kid who had, um, pretty severe allergies, like, you know, and you can't buy over the counter Benadryl in, in the Netherlands, at least when I was visiting oh my there. Lord. Uh-huh. And so we would just always bring, bring Benadryl to the Netherlands, especially children's Benadryl. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Cause that's so, like what, I mean, people give that for anxiety when they don't want to give, um, benzos, you know? I don't know about Benadryl specifically, but things in that category. Like hydroxyzine anyway. and things. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's just wild though what is and isn't sort of acceptable over the counter and, and not over the counter and all that in in yeah. different places that you visit and and we should just, you know, be be trucking things around. Because these aren't things that are they're not they're not controlled medications. They're not medications that are necessarily going to get someone in trouble. Right. So what about, um, (laughs) it's funny because like the classic example in a prepper mindset is that preppers are very concerned about the health of their fish and they're very concerned about their fish getting diseases. And since they're so worried about their fish, they stockpile fish antibiotics for their fish. Um, and with the possible, use if absolutely worst came to worst of taking them as humans because theoretically like veterinary medicine isn't as controlled but obviously this then gets into the like current uh horse medicine craze of ivermectin oh ivermectin um, or even ketamine i mean you know we're talking about like the right takes ivermectin and the left takes ketamine where everyone wants horse drugs but <laughs> um like how useful is like how useful are things like fish antibiotics or even like other uh, veterinary medicines for cross species application in an apocalypse. And that's not why you bought them. It just happens to be the apocalypse and you happen to have them. Well, I mean, so ivermectin has its uses, right? Like Mm -hmm. we use it in people to treat like, I don't know like strong geliticis, like it's an antiparasitic. So it has its, its uses. I think it's sometimes about the preparation of things. Like is something, if you're giving it to your fish, like what, how would you make it? I think it would be about figuring out how to make it so that it was in people, people form in terms of dosage. Right. Right. And figuring out that kind of thing. And I think it depends on the antibiotic. Okay. Yeah. So, like, so some it, of them will actually only be applicable to fish, whereas some of them might actually yeah, be applicable across species. I think most of them should be applicable across species if it's something that is a drug that both species use. Okay. Like, so if I don't know what fish antibiotics are available, I wish I did because then I could say, oh, well, either. this amoxicillin this could absolutely be used for fish and people, you know? I mean, I think it's more just about like, how do you figure out? Cause you know, it's probably with the fish, it's probably like some kind of like drops that you put in the water or 
because I can't imagine how else you would give your fish their I'm antibiotics. A, I'm a bad prepper. I should know this stuff, but I don't actually know a ton is about it flakes. Is it in bank bunkers or fish antibiotics or is buying antibiotics gold or flakes? yeah? But I mean, I think yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're going to have to find ways to to access these things. You know, I think the big deal is going to be like, how are we going to eventually manufacture things that we because we are going to need antibiotics, we are going to need antiparasitics, and all these sorts of things. Well, my general mindset around that, you know, people have asked me this a long time. People might ask it more about like, how in an anarchist society would you X, Y, and Z, right? Like, people would be like, well, I need, I'm just going to use thyroid medication forever as my example, just because like years ago, like 10 years ago, a friend of mine asked me this question directly, you know, and they were like, well, I need a thyroid pill every day to, or I'll die. How would an anarchist society make it? And my answer has always been, well, I don't know. However we do it now. Right. Because like people and physical infrastructure will likely still exist in various ways through various types of crises. And the things that are more disrupted are the, uh, the mechanisms of control and the organizational mechanisms that, you know, distribute these things or even pay the people to make them right. That kind of stuff uh, could be disrupted, but by and large, you're still going to have people who know how to make antibiotics and you're still going to have, you know, the, the supply chain might get disrupted, which is a, a problem. Right. But then even then it's like, you know, well, there's people who know how to grow grain in the West and Midwest. And there's people who know how to load it onto trains. And there's people who know how to drive those trains to the coast to feed people. And we, we probably won't lose that, but we might lose the system that tells everyone to do those things. And, and I don't know whether that's a cheap out, but there's obviously like anarchists and biofarm. Like, it's not like we're like in this universe, like where it's just, you know, there's all kinds of folks. I just sort of think about it like, it, in terms of times of times of like interim times, times of like crisis, mm -hmm. how do we make sure that people have access to things? Which I think we're going to have to work yeah, on. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Cause it's like, there is a difference between talking about disaster and talking about like an anarchist society or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that you mentioned kind of related to this, but in an actual like apocalypse scenario, right? Every, I'm no longer being euphemistic, although, well, of course I was never being euphemistic, but I'll be euphemistic if I include zombies in this, in this disaster. But whenever you watch a zombie movie, they like raid the pharmacy, right? Um, Which is such know, a good like, idea. Yeah. So what would you raid? Like if you're in the apocalypse and like you are trying to set up your, I guess, like clinic or, or you're trying to take care of people while there's like nuclear fallout and zombies and I don't know, roving militias, but different than the current roving militias. What are you looking for? Well, in a, in a, you know, in an apocalypse situation, uh, I think about this so much. I've had so many fun conversations with my peers. It's actually wonderful to work in an infectious diseases practice and ask everybody what they would <laughs> bring because it was one of the biggest like conversations, like arguments that came up about antimicrobials, antibiotics. That was just amazing. I don't think I would be thinking in terms of setting up a clinic. I think it would be very much in terms of like, what can I get? Mm -hmm. um, and I would try to get broad spectrum antibiotics. So if I had to name them, I would get doxycycline and levofloxacin and or ciprofloxacin. 
and or a medication called amoxicillin amoxicillin clavulonate because I can't talk today. I would get albuterol, and mostly that's for selfish reasons because I'm a little asthmatic. <laughs> And also because asthma, asthma, I would try to get prednisone, epinephrine, like EpiPens, mm-hmm. and some any, anything for like pain and fever. Those would be like really, really high up there on my list. But I would, if I had to have pick a single anti- antibiotic, I would choose doxycycline all the way, which is part of my big, big. <laughs> arguments with all my coworkers, but you know everybody has their things they're not docs they're um, not big doxy stands they all of them everyone is they would all had it on their list but everybody oh. had it on different sections of their list. Uh, okay uh-huh yeah it's, it was an interesting conversation <laughs> and then i think if if it, things were a little more mellow and had a little more time in there i would start to grab stuff that was like sort of more meaningful for just long-term existence Right, and I think about this in terms of my my friends and my people and stuff. But um, you know, like queer folks and 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 pause folks and stuff. But so I think, all right, I would, you know, maybe grab. Let me see. Do I have my list up even? About, <laughs> you no, keep I it think, in, I've been thinking about in your book out bag. Is the like? Yeah. You keep a laminated like. If you hit the, the store, exactly. here's what's Yeah, and if you have 10 more minutes in the store, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Um, if you brought the large bag put in. <laughs> so, like, insulin, you know, mm-hmm. requires refrigeration. But if you could get mm-hmm. any, any kind, I would grab 70-30 because you could keep the largest number of people. I would probably – I would grab testosterone and estradiol. So <laughs> probably morphine because – it's really useful in a lot of different situations and in cardiac situations. And then if I had to choose like two HIV meds, I would choose Bictarvi and Prezista or probably Bictarvi and Prescobix because that combination of medicine covers for a huge number of resistant HIV strains. And also it's just, I would just have it and be like, here, let's keep people around for longer. Yeah. I don't know. Those are sort of my, that's sort of my short list. I honestly, if I was, if I was raiding a pharmacy and it was, I would just grab everything that I could possibly <laughs> get my hand on. Seriously. <laughs> Cause it all would come in handy at some point, you know, especially if it was antibiotic. Yeah. Or like something for GR diasis. That would also be something I would probably get on there. I had GRD yeah, once, and it was not my favorite thing that's ever happened. It's not me. the. It's I had it too. It's not fun. It's yeah, which is why I'm such a big like filter your water person, because uh, I, I definitely got it from unter- unfiltered water. At a, I got a it from swimming in the, the from the ri- swimming in the river by my old house. See, that's better because that's like a reasonable thing to do. Whereas I should have known better, you know. It wasn't. It was not that reasonable. Believe it's a filthy river. No, I'm sorry. It's okay. It was a blast, but I was like, Ooh, that's where you no came from. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true, too. Okay, but what it seems like, okay, you raid the pharmacy. It would just set up shop in the pharmacy. Just get like, you know, all your friends with rifles, defend the pharmacy, and be, become a pharmacist. That's true. But 
I would be a terrible pharmacist. I have no precision in anything I do. Um, yeah, okay. I would bring in my pharmacist friends. Okay. So you be the doctor at the pharmacy. No. <laughs> I don't know what I would do if I didn't. I don't know. Healthcare is like, it's a job. But I like doing it also. I don't know. I was sort of thinking about your friend who you who were talking to in the in the interview about working during COVID. Are you having fe- feels about the working during COVID? Oh, yeah, big time. It's, it's been a wild thing. Everyone's yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's it just more just sort of like what I do healthcare if it wasn't my job. And I think I would, but I think I would do it in a totally different capacity. How would you do it differently if in a in an anti-work environment where you didn't have to? I would walk in the woods with people and talk about their health in a totally different way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and or I would visit them in their homes mm-hmm. and I would have a ton of time and I would like get to know where, what they were doing in their lives in a way that I can't in like tiny little weird rooms with yeah. limited amount of time and that kind of thing. I even just think about one time someone was doing some alternative healing with me, uh, actually helped. I used to have a chronic injury in my chest and, um, it, it's, it certainly wasn't the thing that cured it, but it, it, it helped. But as they're doing this thing, they're like playing soft ambient music and like, you know, like talking softly to me and like the lights are dim and it's this very calm environment. And I'm like, why can't the dentist be this way? You know, like, why do you got to go to the dentist? And it's not like, I don't know, like someone's rubbing your feet, like telling you everything's going to be fine. You know, I can't go to the dentist until, unless I'm like high out of my mind on some kind of benzodiazepine. (laughs) Like I can't, I have to literally kind of create like a, like a non remembering experience every time I go to the dentist. So (laughs) <laughs> like I go to the dentist and I'm like, do whatever you want. <laughs> and then three years later, I have, I go back and have the same experience. Yeah. Which is probably a self-fulfilling prophecy of dentistry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but what you're talking about, like a tooth removal. <laughs> With what you're talking about, about, you know, all the medical care providers being so tired and obviously this thing that I'm going to talk about doesn't solve like COVID, right? But what you're talking about, about wanting to help people become, gain expertise and control over their own bodies, it seems like that would help, you know, because it's like, like with the bike repair example, right? Like, I don't know, when I rode a bike all the time, like I could, I could swap out the handlebars, I could tighten the brakes, I could patch a tire, or I could patch a tube, but I couldn't, but I couldn't align the spokes. I could have learned to align the spokes, but like I, I didn't, you know, and I, I certainly wasn't building bikes. And every time I look at the derailleur, my head would break and like, and so there's, there's always going to be a a role for bike shops, even if everyone's good at bikes. And, and so having, you know, 
crews of people who are specialized in allopathy as the thing they do, the thing that they're most interested in, will always make sense. But like just having more people able to do more of it on our own seems like it really just helps everyone. It doesn't help the people who want to make a ton of money off of things or have a ton of control over how people you froze up live and what they do, you know? Yeah. I think that's totally real. I think it'll also alleviate things on patience. I think that mm-hmm. when people know themselves and can come to their provider with a sense of what's going on with their bodies and navigate the system in a way that feels a little bit more, I hate to be corny, but like empowered. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. super legitimate. I think that one of the ways that healthcare just screws people over constantly is that no one knows how to deal with it. They don't yeah. know what to yeah. ask for. They just, they are in a little room and all of a sudden someone comes in, tells them a bunch of stuff they're supposed to do, gives them some papers and shoes them out. Yeah. And it's, it, there's nothing in there that, that creates a relationship. There's nothing in there that creates, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that people being in charge of their own bodies is, is awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's something that like, and I had this realization about school as well as like doctors or whatever, like at, at some point, especially with like higher education, if you go to college, it doesn't make any sense to me that the teachers like are in charge of you because they're, they're literally people that you're hiring to teach you. Like you're giving them money and they're teaching you and that's cool. That's great. But they, they act like, Oh, well, if you miss class, then you're in trouble. It's like, what trouble? Like why, why would this institution have any leverage over you? And always, and that's kind of how I feel about the medical world is that like, it always helps me. And, and I'm actually almost lucky in that I, I've been, well, now I'm, I have regular insurance, but I was sort of underinsured for most of my adult life. And so I relied heavily on public health and clinics. And I actually found that um, people in public health, they're, they're way more tired, but they're also working there because they like care. And so they're like frazzled and annoyed, but they also like fundamentally care I'm more often. I also am more likely to end up at like LGBTQ clinics and things like that. And that also helps me. But it the 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 main thing that helps me is that I kind of remember I'm like in there and I'm like, the, the doctor's not in, in charge of me. Like either I'm paying or or the state is paying or whatever for service. It's like it's like going to the bike repair shop, you know? Like yep. you're like if I go into the bike repair shop and they just yell at me about how I'm riding my bike, I'm like, I mean, you could tell me that if I ride this bike this way, it's gonna get destroyed. And that makes sense. But you can't tell me I can't ride my bike that way like yeah but like being on that like on that metaphor right like Mm -hmm. same thing like how many times have people gone to the bike shop and been treated shitty and then left out feeling like super demoralized and like they can't ride their bike yeah totally like i think about that too like there's so much of that i don't know it's that it's that it's the realm of expertise and like you know, it's like once once someone is like in this certain space, they get to have all the power and authority. And I always tell people, like, if you're at the doctor and you don't like what's going on, just leave. Yeah. Just leave. Like, unless you like are in a bad way and are really, really, really sick, 
Like if you're there to get get access to things or something, and th- you're not being treated well, just get out of there if things are not going well. Yeah, because that's going to end up being a squirrely relationship. And there's some really bad doctors. There's some really bad nurse practitioners. There's some really bad everybody. But like, there's you know, there's people that are unkind and not good and are just going to tell you what they think is the matter with you before they've even met you. Yeah. And, and just like this like sense of that people thinking that they have power over you because we have these institutions that sort of claim it, but it's like, you're, you're in charge of yourself. Like, I mean, there's, there's institutions that exist to try and stop you from being in charge of yourself. You know, like there's certain things that we could do that would then have other people throw us in prison or whatever. Right. But like, That doesn't mean we're not in charge of ourselves. It just, well, it does. But, you know, on this like pure theoretical level, it, it, we can still choose how we act, even if there's consequences. But, but at the end of the day, it's like, if you're going to the doctor, I don't know, you're, again, not always in all situations and, and all kinds of things, but it's like, I don't know. I, I, I get really annoyed whenever I go to doctors and they don't treat me like that, um, that I'm like, Fortunately, I guess also since I'm usually going to these public clinics, they're kind of trying to get me out. So they're not like really trying to force me to do one thing or another. I don't know. My hope would be that if someone had a healthcare provider, that they would guide the ship and their healthcare provider who had access to the resources and and the access to the you know things like being able to do the prescribing and the ordering of the diagnostics and the access to the expertise in the sense of of time and 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 education and things would be like all right you guide the ship and I'll tell you where the icebergs are kind of concept yeah you know like that would be you know and if you want to hit one just freaking tell me yeah and or what port that you want to go to yeah, what port you want to go to, <laughs> or or who else you want to hire onto the airship, whatever. I mean, we get, but but that but that it would be a a relationship that would be very much completely patient guided, and and that the patient would be the person who has all the say, even if it's something that like me as a provider, I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, you know. Well. I like to sort of tie it back into preparedness and, and all of that. Mostly just I, the, the, my favorite image of, of the whole conversation is the image where you're talking about what you would do if you were a medical care provider without the existing messed up system that you have to interface with, with like going on walks in the woods with people and talking about them with like what's wrong and how they're feeling. And, you know, that's like the kind of almost optimism I don't see about like, I mean, obviously collapse as largely bad and bad stuff happens and disasters are really rough, you know? Um, but I, on some level, like that's like maybe something I'll kind of look forward to is the, the sense of like when your medical care provider comes over to your house and, you know, and like, and our ability to reimagine structures is like the one optimism. I'm trying to end on this like positive note. Um, Totally. I think of it, I saw this David Attenborough thing where they were in Chin, like in Chernobyl. They like visited Chernobyl mm-hmm. recently, and it just is the most beautiful thing because it's just trees growing out of Chernobyl. Like it's the city just with a forest in it. It's just it's a it's a 
forested abandoned space, right? Yeah, and cool. all these amazing buildings. And then there's so many different animals that they haven't seen. Like there's just like wild horses and wolves moving through it. And I don't know, that sort of helps me when I think about collapse in it helps me to think about it in a positive way. Yeah. I'm just like, oh yeah, the wild horses wandering through the school buildings in Chernobyl. Yeah. Well, do you have any um like kind of last thoughts about community or individual preparedness and and accessing allopathy or or any of the stuff that we've been talking about? I think that there's a lot more like rad healthcare providers out there. Mm-hmm. And you probably know some of them. I don't. I tend to be kind of cut off from people. But if, you know, I think talk to people you know who are in healthcare about the access to resources that they have. Because I think sometimes people in healthcare don't even realize like what we have that people are outside of healthcare have mm-hmm. that we can just plug people into and, 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 you know, educate people about so that we can, everybody can be a healthcare provider. Yeah. Cause I think it's totally possible. Like I would way rather that than doc tours. <laughs> I, I mean, I like it cause it's, it's work that's been done in herbalism and other like naturopathic fields for a very long time. Um, yep. And, and I'm fully in favor of that. But I'm also just really excited to see sort of allopathy, like jumping on board with that also, you know, like spreading that information, letting it become more of a, uh, somewhere between like a, I don't know, some like synthesis between like folk practice and like scientific practice, you know, I don't know. Well, my sort of hope is that eventually it doesn't have to be this weird thing where we have, you know, allopathic medicine and that refers to other kinds of medicine as like complementary and all this. It's so offensive to me. It's like why we're going to eventually come to some holopathic medical model, which will be really, yeah. really amazing. That would rule. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything that you'd like to, to shout out either something that you do or something that people who are listening that you hope that they learn about or get involved in? No, I just, all the harm reduction people out there that are still doing the awesome drug work, I really appreciate them. I think it's been really hard for people during COVID. Yeah. I, I, anybody who's doing healthcare work or taking care of people, I just, yeah, you're doing good, good work. That's all. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or in, enjoy this show in general, please consider telling people about it. The primary way that people hear about the show is through word of mouth or through word of internet mouth. And if you can feed the algorithms that shouldn't run the world, that would do everyone a service. So if you like and comment and subscribe, and I don't think comment is actually one of your options. I'm just used to hearing what people say on YouTube. But if you rate and review and you do all of the various things and you post about it to social media, all that shit's so good, Um, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it does a lot of things that make machines tell other people this is content that they might enjoy. But it is content that they might enjoy, I hope. 
You can also support this show a little bit more directly by supporting on Patreon our publisher, which is Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. I used to have a personal Patreon that supported this show, but we've transitioned that over uh, to Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. And if you are one of our supporters, thank you so much for making that transition with us. There's going to be so much good content that's going to be coming out this year with your help. And basically, it was, it's no longer about me. And that's really exciting. Honestly, it's a bit of a relief. And so you can support us there and you get access to content that will go to you before it goes to everyone else. And then if you back us at $10 a month, you'll get a zine mailed to you every month anywhere in the world. And if you support us at $20 or more, we'll say your name right now. So in particular, I would like to thank Nicole and David and Dana, Chelsea, Starro, Jennifer, Eleanor, Natalie, Kirk, Hugh, Nora, Sam, Chris, and Hoss the Dog. Thank you so much. And I will talk at you. And by you, I mean this microphone in a closet soon. Be well.